Hello, and welcome again to another episode of Five Plain Questions, a podcast that proposes five questions to Indigenous artists, creators, musicians, writers, movers and shakers, and culture bears, people in the community that are doing great things for other communities. I'm Joe Williams, your host for this conversation. I'm director of CANA, the Native American programs at the Plains Art Museum. My goal is to showcase these amazing people in our Indigenous communities from around the region and country. I want to introduce you to John Isaiah Papian. John is an acclaimed artist, muralist, and educator who is a citizen of the Blackfeet Nation in northern Montana. His Plains graphic art combines traditional design with contemporary illustrations to create a signature look that is instantly recognizable throughout the country. John considers his art journey as ceremonial because his understanding of his past, family, and culture grows with each piece he creates. Through my art, he says, I find personal healing, cultural preservation with a deeper connection to place. He's a descendant of Mount Chief, a Blackfeet leader who preserved his history through numerous winter counts. John aspires to have a positive impact on his community through his art, archives, and beyond. When not creating art, John is an active public speaker and an educator who has traveled the country speaking at public schools, organizations, and groups of aspiring artists. He holds a formal degree in art marketing and museum studies from the United Tribes Technical College and the Institute of American Indian Arts in New Mexico. In 2018, John began working on a Native-owned 8th generation and their inspired Natives project with the goal of increasing his business capacity. His goal is to bring his cultural art to market while maintaining control over his stories embedded within. So, let's jump into this conversation with John. John, thank you so much for joining us at Five Plain Questions. It's really great to have you here. Yes, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, can you uh, introduce yourself, uh, give a little bit about your background, uh, what you do, and uh, where you're from? Uh, my name is John Pepion. I'm from the Amskapupakani band of the Nisitipi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. I'm located in north central Montana. Right now, I'm a full-time art teacher and a full-time artist. Uh I'll admit, um, I think I became uh, familiar with your work uh, online. Um, I think you've got a really uh, large presence on Instagram, and uh, I've been following you for quite some time, admiring the work that you're doing. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the work uh, that you that you do artistically? Um, yeah, I like to call it uh, Plains Indian Graphic Arts, and um, it's basically uh, influenced from winter counts to uh, petroglyphs to um, ledger art, but in a pictograph style. So influenced by pictographs, but doing it on doing it on everything: buffalo skulls, skateboards, antique documents, and murals. So, um, like I said, I call it plains ending graphic arts. Uh, that's really cool. The um, what what sort of uh, brought you to um, this style or uh, this? Yeah, this type of uh, artwork. Um, winter counts and uh, the early studio paintings of Santa Fe and then ledger art and then just my community and the art that I see on on our par flashes, our teepees and, and shields and war shirts. Uh, would you be able to talk a little bit about your uh, your biggest influences, uh, maybe early on and kind of uh, who's influencing you right now? Uh, my major influence is probably my grandfather. He was an oil painter and a wood carver. 
and, and, and one of our last elders, uh, he passed away a few years back, um, but he was my major influence along with his brother. His brother did art and, and murals and, and similar art to almost like Oscar Howe style. So that was a heavy influence on my style. Oscar Howe, uh, George Flett, um, also Alan Hauser. And then, and then um, what influences me now personally is uh, being in my community and what we're going through, what we're witnessing right now, and just being inspired to be able to create, like be able to wake up and breathe fresh air. How has your career developed over time? Uh, I, I guess I'm not familiar if you, you had gone to college or to art school, um, but how, I guess, how has it developed since that time in post-college? See, I've been doing art all my life and, and I would never really consider myself an artist. Uh, I went to the Institute of American and the Arts to, I thought, to become a curator, which I ended up being more of a gallery assistant and the person who prepares the exhibits but i was still working on my art on the side and in 2009 i decided to uh, pursue art full time um, had a lot of ups and downs and still do it's been a learning experience and right now i'm going about a full year as a um, high school art teacher hmm. how's that experience been for you uh being in the classroom and working with youth uh, very challenging, especially during COVID times, because right now we're going through the spike of the new COVID cases in our community where we might have to go online. And when we went online, I found it was kind of harder, um, but it's been it's been great and inspiring, um, uh, especially getting their feedback. Uh, did a couple of murals in our community with students last year. Uh, so I learned from them and hopefully inspire them through my story that they could do it too, being from the same place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, thinking back to um, school days uh, when, when you were in school and when I was in school, um, we didn't have, uh, the school I went to didn't have an art program. And so my education in art came from a summer workshop I used to do called the Oscar House Summer Art Institute. And um, you mentioned Oscar House, so I'm kind of curious, um, uh, one, about your um, experience as a kid uh, being exposed to art. And also, I want to touch on Oscar Howe and, and I guess how um, you're associated uh, with his artwork. Um, so growing up, uh, we've always had art programs. And, and and what's special about the art program that I'm helping develop now is building from the ground up and also using a lot of our culture and identity, but working with the basics of drawing and painting. And then I, I'm trying to remember if it was around 15 or 16, I got a random letter in the mail from the Hosker Summer Institute. And um, I did fill it out, but somehow I... I can remember, I think my, my paperwork was lost, but I always wanted to go mm. seeing it. And, and I was just always fascinated with these art. I think I came across this art in magazines when I was younger. Um, and then um, when I went to the Institute of American Inner Arts, one of my roommates was Keith Braveheart, who teaches at the, the, the Summer Institute. 
yeah, he was one of my students at the at the program. Eventually, I was a I was a, a faculty there. I was an art teacher um, at the program. And so, was, so, so was Henry Payer was my roommate too. He was one of my students too. <laughs> wow, I didn't I didn't realize uh, you had those connections. Yeah. And then Diani, Diani Whitehawk was my classmate and, and and still a good friend from Santa Fe. Ah, same here. She's a friend. I um, curated one of her shows here at the Plains Art Museum a couple of years ago. So, and we started our own um, institute here up in Fargo, and she was an instructor. Her and Keith were both instructors uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. That's wow, awesome. that's a small world. That's that's exciting. Uh, and, and then uh, before I went to uh, Santa Fe, I also went to United Tribes Technical College. And so familiar with North Dakota, but never been to the museum in there. Uh, uh, this is the museum uh, I want to at some point. Mm-hmm. I see you guys do a lot of things with uh, indigenous art and indigenous artists, which is pretty cool. I see a lot of stuff Diani and Keith do there. Yeah, they've been uh, big supporters and very active um, with uh, the work that we do. Um, <clears throat> how have you sought opportunities and how have opportunities uh, uh, presented themselves to you over the years? Um, when I first started out, it seemed like uh, I, I, I was, I just like jumped into the art world without knowing anything, without knowing the business side or taxes or anything. I just jumped in and it was kind of hard because I honestly was broke and didn't know much and couldn't even afford like framing or matting or anything and didn't even have a car, but I was trying to do all these shows. I was trying to do Sioux Falls. I was trying to do all these markets. And I thought I was just like ready, but I've been through all these learning. And and, and so I, I sat back a few times and quit applying for stuff like Santa Fe in the market. I got denied twice. So I got discouraged of uh, not applying. I haven't applied since. Um, I haven't really done a major art market. I want to one of these days, um, uh, but I've, I've uh, had my first exhibit, I think in 2009 and things just grew from there and, and word of more, more of word of mouth in, in social media, um, Instagram, a um, lot of opportunities through, through the internet. And, and um, um, so now I feel like for me personally, for my career as an artist, it's starting to take off again because I went through a period of um, kind of like slowing down art-wise and was doing more of um, uh, being an artist coach for First People's Fund and doing all these art trainings for about two years. I went through a period of traveling, but not really pursuing art as I wanted to. And now I'm pursuing it more than ever. Hmm. I like I said at the the beginning of the interview, um, I had become aware of your of your work uh, through social media, and I, I kind of feel like you're one of the the more successful um, influencers out there on on Instagram with your artwork, uh, big presence, uh, a really great following. Uh, can you talk a little bit about about that whole experience? Um, at the time, I was on a when I was first starting my my like pursuing art 2009, I was on Facebook, but didn't know much, was just new to it. And, and my brother suggested I join Instagram because he said, you could just post pictures, you don't have to say nothing. So I started posting pictures of my art. Then I got an email from Instagram to do an interview and I kind of thought it was a joke. 
but but it was really Instagram and they did an interview on me. And when they featured that interview, I got almost more than half a million um, hits on that interview and all these followers. And and uh, so since that interview, my Instagram has been um, very popular, I guess. Um, and then I just post art on or other art events that I do. But through my experience in being in desolate Montana um, and, and not being um, part of like these big markets, everything, I felt like that I had to create my own lane. And, and so I'm still pushing that and then helping whoever I can when I can. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, um, but whereabouts in Montana do you live? I, I live on the Blackfeet Indian Reservation. It's uh, next to Glacier National Park and the Canadian border. Um, you know, one thing uh, with our with our museum and sort of uh, the Dakotas is, yeah, Montana is sort of like this um, this blank spot. You know, um, you see a lot of good art and a lot of art, good artists up there, but the interaction doesn't quite seem to be uh, consistent. Um, is there is there an art scene? in montana or idaho um how, how is how is that structured out there from your experience uh just from my personal point of view from from that question um i feel like there's a lot of talent here there's a lot of talent in my community and in these indigenous communities in montana even idaho and north dakota mm-hmm. um and even wyoming um but seems like before the pandemic, I felt like a lot of indigenous artists were lacking on social media and, and uh, a web presence, an internet presence. But after, after COVID hit, a lot of artists were forced to have an internet presence because a lot of the markets were postponed or canceled. And, and now I see older artists from Montana or, or North Dakota or Idaho using social media or have websites now selling their art um, I feel that it's still growing. Um, I feel that Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, Wyoming, and Idaho, Idaho get left out of a lot of um, indigenous art scenes. And then when, when we are allowed or do participate in these markets, especially in the Southwest, um, our artwork doesn't seem as popular as pottery or silver, especially if we're doing like rawhide work or our traditional work. It's just not as popular as it is in the Southwest. But then again, I also witnessed uh, 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 planes in and art being like uh, sought after by museum collections and, and galleries and collections, especially like Blackfeet or Lakota art, our artists that are heavily sought after. But it seems though that, um, especially in the, the upper Northern Plains, um, there's not a consistent uh, connection between museums and institutions to the artists in that area. And I agree, uh, especially a lot of our, our relatives in Canada get left out of the art scene too. Mm-hmm. And it's challenging for them up there also, especially like in, like I'm speaking more of above me, like in Alberta and that area, a lot of the Blackfeet and Cree artists, really have no market or, or anywhere, our venue. Um, and then it seems like only in recent times, museums are deciding to build relationships with indigenous people. Mm-hmm. What 
what would you offer as a possible solution um, to this issue? That's a great question. It's a great discussion. All the time, people, uh, indigenous artists will come together and talk about, well, let's make it like Santa Fe or let's develop a good market or, um, or, or even like an art collective or art association. And in my community, we've been trying, art communities, we've been trying to build an art association or arts collective, but it just hasn't worked out and I can't understand why. Um, but at the same time, I think there needs to be more um, unity maybe mm -hmm. in our communities, especially amongst our tribes and, and, and sharing our networks. And, 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 but I don't know a quite solution because that's something I'm always looking into uh, right now. I personally couldn't take on a responsibility of, of being a leader of an association or a market or venue because it's a lot of work. I witnessed so many people put their blood, sweat, and tears into it and, and have it not be successful, then not continue on. But maybe in the future, as I'm a little wiser and maybe have more um, connections, resources, maybe I might try to do something like that or organize something like that. But that's a very good question that I don't know the answer that I'm constantly trying to listen to people talk about we we have a similar situation in uh north dakota um really the dakotas uh where you know we it, a lot of times it's it's access to information or sharing of information you know and, and we're trying to figure out how to to put something together uh so that information is shared yet at the same time not be gatekeepers you know, because um, I think often what you find is that some of these organizations that come together, they turn into gatekeepers and, you know, the politics of the art world and those feelings that come on. I mean, it's um, you see that in the Southwest, you know, there's there is some gatekeeping down there, you know, where they shut people out. Um, one hand, it's capacity. Right. Um, but the other hand, too, it's uh, it's it's who, you know, and uh, friends of friends get more access than other friends. And it's disheartening to a lot of, uh, a lot of artists who are sort of on the outside looking in. I, I, I agree there. I felt like throughout my earlier years that I was one of those artists for some reason that felt like I was never allowed into, into, into certain programs or, or maybe venues. But after a while I decided not to depend on certain things, but one one organization that has really helped our community and, and me personally is the First Peoples Fund. Um, they they just kept coming up here and coming up and, and trying to organize and get everybody going and helping out, share information. Then there was a couple um, couple organizations in our community, but it seems like they're still lacking. Uh, we're still in our community, and it seems like maybe in Northern Plains that we are lacking a lot of support from like our tribal council, uh, our art council, state. But some are starting to slowly recognize how important Indigenous art is and investing in our communities. But still, I feel we're the same. We're, people are still lacking, and I notice that's becoming a, a term. I, re, I uh, is gatekeeping or gatekeepers is a seems like a lot of people are posting that on social media right now. Mm. Yeah, that's, um, it's a great point. Uh, you know, it's something that I, I guess 
I, yeah, I've been looking into it for for some time now, and you know, uh, me and a few other people here in North Dakota, and how to sort of um, create opportunities for uh, artists, indigenous artists in the area. And the one thing we don't want to do or become our gatekeepers. You know, we're trying to figure out how to share information equitably for for whoever is interested in the information. You know. Um, whether it's art shows or markets or jobs, you know, cause there'll be postings, people will need artists for this or that. And, um, yeah. So anyways, uh, that's, that's one of the, the things that we're concerned about is, is being perceived as gatekeepers or becoming the thing that we don't want to become. Yeah. And see me personally, like, um, I'm from my community. I'm in my community. Um, I'm giving back to my community, um, I'm trying to share everything I know. If anybody wants to to learn, or if anybody asks me, I try to share the best of the knowledge or make suggestions, even if it comes down to business, or even I highly suggest e-commerce. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not everybody can afford original, even in our communities, but maybe they can afford a small pair of earrings or, or or something else. But I try to explain all the things. I try to explain that one of the major keys I feel for Indigenous artists are just artists in general is is knowing the business seems like a lot of successful artists and indigenous artists um, the successful ones that seem successful are the ones that are that know a little bit of business are running their art as a business that was um one of the the fascinating things uh, i learned from uh, diani whitehawk is how intentional she is in the not so much the business side, but sort of that side of, of what she does, you know, she's very, she really examines um, the, her processes, you know, and how to um, connect with people who are, how do I say this? Um, Yeah. I think she's very intentional in how she works the, the business side of, of her craft. Um, One thing, you know, because I went to art school also, uh, I wish they would have taught us in school um, was business art, art business, how to, how to be business people with, with the products that we do create, if we consider them products, right? Yeah. Uh, I totally agree with you there because I, I went to the art program at United Tribes and I went to the Art Institute and not once in both programs did they even teach business or how to price or sell your art um, are about taxes or anything are even about fellowships and nothing there was nothing taught like that there might be a small portion now but that was everything i learned on my own from different programs and different artists and that's what i try to share with other artists but when you start trying to share these things and, and, and opportunities i feel that um it's up to the person to take advantage of that and a lot of people won't a lot of people approach me or tell me who i should help or who I should be doing or what I should be doing, but I always tell them it's up to the person. Oh, absolutely. I think we have, uh, we really have control of our own fate to a large degree, you know, and what might work for you won't necessarily work for the next person and vice versa. Yes. Yep. And, and then like, um, um, it's important. Like, I, I don't know all the business side. Like I really don't like taxes or math our paperwork yeah yeah the point where um i don't even like dealing with emails or shipping i have to hire somebody to do that now but (laughs) 
it's just like uh, I'm getting more to exploring um, and creating more instead of worrying about business and deadlines. That's one thing I try to tell all our indigenous artists is to learn how to say no sometimes because sometimes it feels like we can never say no and we have all these deadlines and all these projects, especially for our own people. We're always, and, and I'm always trying to stress to, to other artists to know their worth, you know, especially when it comes to the use of our images or if we're going to do something for a tribal program or organization to know our worth. But it's because people know us, they think they could get a major discount and not pay the worth, but they'll pay a plumber and electrician full price, but they try to get a deal and discount with us all the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, what would you say to the, the 18 or 22 year old that's listening to this conversation? Um, start learning business, even if it's small steps, um, uh, create your own lane. If you have to, and there's no rules. And if there people say there's rules, it's okay to bend them. Um, and that uh, keep pushing no matter what, because I feel uh, with social media and, and every year there's changes. Like I think TikTok has a major influence on indigenous art, but I personally don't use TikTok and have no clue about it, but I see that has a major influence. So it seems like every year with technology, things change, especially with indigenous art. There's a lot of uh, digital art going on and, and a lot of NFTs. It seems like the artists are getting to that. So if you're a young artist, I would suggest keeping up with social media and, and technology. No, I, I agree. I agree. Um, <clears throat> when I went to grad school, uh, I went to an animation program and we had to give a presentation. And um, during the presentation day, all the other students who were about 10 years younger than me were presenting everything up on a digital board. And when it got to me, I gave my presentation and afterwards the instructor said, wow, that's, you know, it was pretty good. Um, but how did you get the aesthetic of your images to look like actual pencil on paper? And I said, well, it's because I used pencil on paper and I just scanned, you know, as I drew, I scanned and she just kind of shook her head. She's like, no, she's like, you have to be using digital now, you know, in animation, we don't use paper and pencil anymore. And so my experience in school was that um, you had to learn technology. You have to be in front of it because things are changing all the time. And um, yeah, it's just, it's in the world that we live in now, it's sort of key. Yep. And, and, and then also I feel like, uh, like I might have a, 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 so a presence on Instagram, but I don't feel I have presence on other things. Like I'm not even on Twitter. Mm-hmm. But I get all these suggestions, and sometimes I feel like I fall behind. And but that's why I say I think it's a good idea for people to keep up with technology because it changes every year. Mm. True, true. Um, that being said, though, um, whatever you're doing on Instagram, you're doing it right because you've you've got a huge following, and uh, you're posting uh, often. And it's it's I really appreciate your account. You you do great work, and uh, whatever however you're figuring it out on Instagram, you're you're doing the right thing. Thank you. Uh, speaking of which, um, where can our listener uh, find you um, online, find your work, and connect with you? So if, just uh, my website is johnisaiahpepion.com. That's also my social media handles for uh, Facebook and Instagram. But uh, on my website, you can find um, info on there, uh, 
And then my Instagram, you can find like the shows I might be doing or what I'm working on or exhibit. Yeah. Okay. I'll uh, put links in the show notes um, so they can find you uh, if they click on the, the show notes. So, yeah. John, thank you so much for uh, sitting down and taking time to, to be a part of this. This was really great. Thank you for having me. And that does it for this episode of Five Plain Questions. I want to thank John for his time and sharing his story with us. It was over the course of this conversation uh, that I realized that John actually could have been one of my students and mentees from the Oscar Hausmer Art Institute. And it makes me sad at the opportunity lost. His application somehow never arrived to where we were, and we weren't able to review his work and to have him a part of uh, this program, which makes me sad. Not because I would have had a hand in his success or anything like that, because any of the students that went to the Oscar Hausmer Art Institute, the success that they have is on them and the work that they did. But it's always been an honor and a privilege to be able to have been there at the beginning of of their careers and to be connected with those individuals. And so I am sad that I'm sad for the time that was lost that I wasn't able to have with him uh, early on uh, because the work that he does and uh, his worldview is so interesting. And that's another point I want to touch on too, is that oftentimes during the during these interviews, with the structure and the template of the, of the interview, um, we sort of leave it within a certain framework. And once we stop recording, then real conversations happen. And we talk about things that are going on uh, in Indian country uh, that are very valuable. And sometimes I wish we could really uh, record those conversations and, and air some of those, uh, but we don't. But I left a lot of what we talked about in for this episode because it was very real talk. and It was real honest discussion that I think needs to be not just said among fellow artists, but just needs to be in the public anyways. And so that's why I'm going to leave a lot of this in because his points are valid and very honest. So that being said, of course, I invite you to check out his work. I imagine you probably are already following him on social media. And if not, you need to. Uh, There'll be a link in the show notes to connect with his work and with him. And of course, all the other guests that we have on the show who are artists, I invite you to support them. Uh, The work they do, most of them, it's all for sale. And artists, that's their livelihood. And as patrons, uh, you know, it's one, we, we need to have their works in our collections. And I would just encourage you to build your collection and the quality of your collection by supporting the artists that are on this podcast, uh, whether it's John or guests from season one, two, and three. But John, thank you so much for this conversation. And I look forward to the next time we chat. More importantly, I want to thank you for joining us and spending your time listening to what I feel is a very important story and perspective from our community. So please, join us next time as we speak with another incredible person. I'm Joe Williams. You can find me at Canada. That's C-A-N-A-A, Creativity Among Native American Artists on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, a class, social media, and at the plainsart.org website. There you can see our programming, past videos, and these podcasts. If you have a suggestion for someone for me to interview, please find us on Facebook and message me. I'd really like to hear from you. All right, that's it, and we will see you next time. This has been an 11 Warrior Arts production.